This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Merry Christmas to you, those of you who celebrate, that is. And if you don't, well, I hope you at least have the day off work and are able to just chill out with a good book. This is my last episode with this format. Next week, I'll have a special New Year's Eve episode where I recap some of my favorite reads from this past year. And then starting in January, I'm going to switch things up a bit. I'll be reducing the number of episodes per month to one to two. And I'll also be switching up the format. Still going to cover upcoming releases, but in lieu of full reviews of books that I've read, I'll just start sharing high-level thoughts on some of the books that I've read and add it to my shelves. The more in-depth reviews will still be available. They'll just be available on the blog at justreaditalready.com, and then condensed versions of those reviews will appear on Instagram. Just trying to get a better handle on things. Right now, there's just a lot going on, and I need to kind of pull back a little bit. Anyway, today, I'll be sharing my thoughts on Tanana Reeve Dew's The Reformatory, Sophie Cousins' The Good Part, Ella Berman's Before We Were Innocent, Erica Johansson's Kingdom of Sweets, and close out with Brian McCauley's Candy Cane Kills. But first, let's look at some of this week's new releases. First on my list is What Lies in the Woods by Terry Parlato. A young dancer's homecoming is marred by a grisly discovery and the realization that nothing in her past may be quite what she believed. I reviewed this book on episode 36, so if you want to go back and check that out. I thought it was, it was fine. Next is Radio Silence by Alice Oseman, a coming-of-age read that tackles issues of identity, the pressure to succeed, diversity, and freedom to choose. Then we have The Weekend Retreat by Tara Laskowski. A wealthy family's vacation at their lush winery estate becomes a weekend to kill for in this deliciously twisted novel of suspense. Next is Ruthless Vows by Rebecca Ross. This is the sequel to Divine Rivals, which was everywhere last year, and I still haven't read it. Then we have Two Dead Wives by Adele Parks. This book examines what it is to be a family and the dangerous lengths that people will go to for those they love. Then we have The Vacation House by Jane Shemilt, Shemilt, S-H-E-M-I-L-T, a breathtaking tale of betrayal, family, and secrets from the past in this crackling novel of psychological suspense. Then we have Better Than Revenge by Elizabeth Adler. Twin sisters, 38 years old, each attractive and charming, one quiet and cool, the other loud and vivacious. Professional grifters, they con rich men who inevitably fall for their special brand of charm, style, and glamour. And their games are getting more and more deadly. Then we have On the Plus Side by Jenny L. Howe. The new guest on a popular plus-size makeover show has her style and her love life transformed. 
And last on my list is The Paris Housekeeper by Renee Ryan. A powerful and moving story of bravery and resilience in World War II Paris and one woman who must face impossible choices to survive. Short and sweet this week, and I didn't add any new books to my shelves. Surprise, surprise. So let's just jump into the reviews, and we'll kick things off with The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Du. This book was first published by Gallery Saga Press on October 31st, 2023, and was one of my November Aardvark book club picks. The synopsis reads, 12-year-old Robbie Stevens Jr. is sentenced to six months at the Gracetown School for Boys, a reformatory, for kicking the son of the largest landowner in town in defense of his older sister, Gloria. So begins Robbie's journey further into the terrors of the Jim Crow South and the very real horror of the school they call the reformatory. Robbie has a talent for seeing ghosts, or haints, but what was once a comfort to him after the loss of his mother has become a window to the truth of what happens at the reformatory. Boys forced to work to remediate their so-called crimes have gone missing, but the haints Robbie sees hint at worse things. Through his friends Redbone and Blue, Robbie is learning not just the rules, but how to survive. Meanwhile, Gloria is rallying every family member and connection in Florida to find a way to get Robbie out before it's too late. The Reformatory is a haunting work of historical fiction written as only American Book Award-winning author Tanana Reeve Dew could, by piecing together the life of the relative her family never spoke of, and bringing his tragedy and those of so many others at the infamous Dozier School for Boys to the light in this riveting novel. I mentioned earlier on in this podcast that my friend Aaron and I used to do a true crime podcast during the pandemic. One of our episodes, Aaron covered the case of the Dozier School for Boys. This is an infamous reform school in Florida that was basically a living nightmare for any boy who was sent there. It was active between January 1st, 1900 and June 30th, 2011. It's a long time. And some of the things that went on there are nothing short of horrific. These boys were beaten, tortured, raped, and some were even murdered by other boys at the school and staff who worked there. In the reformatory, Tananarive Du, whose uncle was actually one of the boys at the Dozier School, blends historical fact with fiction and transports readers to 1950s Jim Crow, Florida to a reform school based on the Dozier School for Boys. Du immerses readers in the horrifying realities of racial segregation and injustice through the eyes of 12-year-old protagonist Robbie Stevens Jr., who finds himself sentenced to the reformatory after defending his older sister against the son of a powerful landowner in town. While this is a historical fiction novel inspired by real-life events, what set it apart for me was the horror and paranormal elements that were woven into the story. Robbie has the extraordinary ability to see ghosts, or haints, as he refers to them. (laughs) And funny story, so I both listened to and read this one, just so I could keep moving. It's a pretty thick book. And when I was listening to it, the narrator said haint, and I thought she said taint. And I was like, girl, that's not a ghost that I want to get to know. But anyway, Haints, H-A-I-N-T-S. Yep, talking about ghosts. Anyway, this ability was comforting to Robbie after his mother died because he could still see and speak to her, but this talent has quickly become a horrifying revelation about the true nature of what really happens at the reformatory because he's able to see and sometimes communicate with boys who are murdered at the school. As Robbie uncovers the disappearances of boys who are forced to work to rectify their so-called crimes, the haints he encounters hint at far darker and more sinister truths. 
Alongside his friends Redbone and Blue, Robbie encounters not only the harsh rules of the institution, but also the vital skills he needs just to survive, because eventually, Robbie is in danger from not only the abusers at the school, but also some of the vengeful haints who want Robbie to help them enact their revenge against those who wronged them. And if he refuses, well, let's just say Robbie doesn't really have a choice in the matter. Robbie knows he isn't safe here, and he's desperate to get out, but no one has ever survived an escape attempt from the reformatory. Now, Robbie's not alone in his fight for justice and freedom. His older sister, Gloria, knows Robbie did nothing wrong, and she's determined to rally every friend, family member, and connection in Florida to secure his release before it's too late. This isn't easy, though. This is 1950s Florida, where racism runs rampant and segregation shapes every aspect of daily life. It's an uphill battle, and the novel powerfully captures the resilience and determination of a young boy and his sister in the face of overwhelming adversity. The addition of the paranormal elements added a very interesting layer to the mix. I liked a lot of things about this novel, but one of the best things about the book is the way Dew is able to breathe life into her characters. Gloria, Robbie, and their friends and family are all empathetic characters who are doing their best to survive in a very white world. Robbie's journey is both heartbreaking and inspiring, and readers will find themselves rooting for him from the first page. Dew effortlessly balances the harsh realities of Jim Crow Florida with moments of hope and humanity, creating a beautifully nuanced portrayal of a young boy caught in the grips of a terrifying institution. Not only is he terrified of the torture and abuse in the school, but he's also terrorized by the ghosts of the dead who didn't survive this abuse. Moreover, Dew's impeccable research shines through in every detail, from the vivid descriptions of Gracetown to the haunting atmosphere of the reformatory. Through Robbie's story, Dew ensures that the voices of those who suffered in silence are finally heard. This is the first book that I've read by this author, and it definitely won't be my last. Her prose is both evocative and captivating, and I was drawn deeper into the narrative with every turn of the page. With its themes of injustice, resilience, and the power of the human spirit, this novel will definitely leave a lasting impression. Overall, I thought this was a haunting and powerful work of historical fiction that sheds light on a dark chapter in American history. I love the blend of horror and would love to read more like this. I gave it four stars. Next, we'll look at The Good Part by Sophie Cousins. This book was first published on November 7th, 2023 by G.P. Putnam Sons and was one of my November Aardvark Book Club picks. The synopsis reads, At 26, Lucy Young is tired. Tired of fetching coffees for senior TV producers, tired of going on disastrous dates, and definitely tired of living in a damp flat shared with flatmates who never buy toilet roll. She could quit her job for a better living, but she's not ready to give up on her dreams. Not just yet. After another diabolical date lands her in a sudden storm and no money for bus fare, Lucy finds herself seeking shelter in a tiny shop where she stumbles upon a curious wishing machine. Pushing her last coin into the slot, Lucy closes her eyes and wishes with everything she's got. Please, let me skip to the good part of my life. When she wakes up the next morning to a handsome man, a ring on her finger, a high-powered job, and a storybook-perfect little boy and baby girl, Lucy can't believe this is real, especially when she looks in the mirror and staring back is her own 40-something face. Has she really skipped ahead to the future she's always wanted, or has she simply forgotten a huge chunk of her life? And as Lucy begins to embrace this new life and new relationships, she'll have to ask herself, can she go back? And if so, does she want to? One thing I've learned this past year is I love a good time travel book, especially in the rom-com or contemporary fiction genre. 
I really enjoyed Cassandra in reverse, and maybe next time was absolutely beautiful. I guess that wasn't really time travel. It was like she was basically stuck. But anyway, in this book, the author delivers a different take on the time travel concept and sends our protagonist forward in time to experience the good parts of her life. This story revolves around Lucy Young, a 26-year-old woman who feels trapped in a cycle of monotonous daily life. Tired of her dead-end job and disappointing dating life, Lucy stumbles upon a wishing machine in a small shop during a stormy night. Desperate for a change, she drops her last coin into the machine and makes a heartfelt wish to skip to the good part of her life. But little does she know that her wish will come true, but with unexpected consequences. When Lucy wakes up the next morning, she finds herself in a completely different life. She's married to a kind, handsome man. She has two beautiful children. She's finally reached a successful point in her career. The downside? She jumped 15 years forward, which means she aged overnight. She's now in her 40s. She has no idea who this man is that she married, and she has no idea how to raise kids. Faced with the disorienting reality of skipping ahead in time, Lucy now has to learn to navigate her new life while also grappling with the question of whether she wants to return to her old one. Things are definitely better as far as financial stability and her love life go, but her old worries have only been replaced with new ones, so is it really better now? And if she wanted to go back, could she? Cousins does a fantastic job of exploring the impact of time travel on Lucy's emotional journey. As she embraces her new life and forms meaningful relationships, Lucy begins to question if she truly wants to go back or if she should just cherish the present. On the flip side of this, Lucy also has to deal with the fact that she has lost 15 years of her life, and some pretty significant life events took place during that time, including the loss of loved ones. If she goes back, she'll get those years back, but there's no guarantee that things will play out exactly as they have and lead her back to this exact timeline. So does she go back and chance it, or does she just stay? The characters in this book are incredibly endearing and well-developed. Lucy, with her witty humor and relatable insecurities, is a protagonist that readers will definitely root for. The chemistry between Lucy and her husband becomes more palpable the longer she spends with him. It got to where it felt like they were old friends, and I couldn't help but become invested in their story. As I mentioned earlier, what sets this novel apart from other time travel books that I've read lately is the way Lucy jumps forward in time. Typically, we see the character jumping backward to fix something, but rather than focusing on time travel as a means to fix the past, Cousins puts an exciting twist on the concept by allowing Lucy to skip ahead. Problem is, by jumping ahead, Lucy basically winds up in foreign territory. She doesn't wake up with future knowledge. Her memories basically stop at putting the coin in the machine. So her husband and kids are complete strangers to her, and while she's finally ahead in her career, things have changed in the industry and she has missed out on the knowledge and experience that got her to where she is in her career. Also, her friendships have morphed and changed over the years, and she has no knowledge of what happened. This really raises the stakes. At least when you travel backward, you've lived that part before and you kind of have an idea of what happened, but in this case, Lucy's jumping in completely blind. Overall, I found this to be a heartwarming story that reminds us of the beauty of living in the present and just appreciating life's journey. If you're a fan of time travel romance with a touch of whimsy, then this is the perfect book for you. I gave it four and a half stars. Next, we'll take a look at Before We Were Innocent by Ella Berman. This book was first published by Berkeley on April 4th, 2023, and was Reese's book club pick for December. The synopsis reads... 
Ten years ago, after a sun-soaked summer spent in Greece, best friends Bess and Joni were cleared of having any involvement in their friend Evangeline's death. But that didn't stop the media from ripping apart their teenage lives like vultures. While the girls were never convicted, Joni, ever the opportunist, capitalized on her newfound infamy to become a motivational speaker. Bess, on the other hand, resolved to make her life as small and controlled as possible, so she wouldn't risk losing everything all over again. And it almost worked. Except now Joni is tangled up in a crime eerily similar to that one fateful night in Greece. And when she asks Bess to come back to LA to support her, Bess has a decision to make. Is it finally time to face up to what happened that night, exposing herself as the young woman she once was and maybe still is? And what happens if she doesn't like what she finds? I'm going to be honest, I was really surprised when Reese picked this as her December book club pick. The book was released back in April, and the reviews weren't especially strong. I actually pre-ordered the book when I first read the synopsis, but then put it off when I read the reviews. The book's premise initially intrigued me. It promised a mysterious and captivating storyline, but as I delved deeper into the narrative, I found myself feeling somewhat unsatisfied. The plot, though filled with potential, lacked originality, and it failed to deliver the promised surprises. The events that unfold throughout the book felt very familiar, and I couldn't help but draw comparisons to similar stories that I've read in the past. This novel follows the lives of two best friends, Bess and Joni, as they navigate the aftermath of a tragic event that occurred during their teenage years. The story unfolds through alternating timelines, so we're in 2008 when the initial tragedy occurred, and then 10 years later in 2018 when another tragedy brings them back together. When we first meet Bess, she's living in the California desert, far from prying eyes. When her best friend Evangeline died in Greece while in the company of Bess and Joni, the two were immediately suspects in their friend's death. The media were horrible toward them, and Bess has had enough of the limelight for a lifetime. Joni, on the other hand, has a career as a motivational speaker. She took the tragedy and owned what it did to her, ending up with a very profitable career and a sexy young influencer as her fiancé. But when the fiancé goes missing, and Joni appears on Bess's doorstep asking for help in the form of an alibi, old wounds are reopened. Sound familiar? If so, you're not alone. As I mentioned earlier, I felt as though I'd read this book before. I kept waiting for something to surprise me, but unfortunately that never happened. The story, the situations, and the characters were all very cookie-cutter and held no surprises. Berman's writing style, while adequate, did little to elevate the overall experience. The prose was straightforward, not a lot of depth and nuance that could have brought the story to life. The characters, though flawed and relatable to an extent, lacked the complexity needed to make them truly compelling and original. Bess, the protagonist, often came across as passive and indecisive, and it made it difficult for me to fully invest in her journey. Joni is displayed as manipulative and opportunistic, and it made it hard to sympathize with her, but again, it was kind of expected. As I mentioned earlier, there were no surprises here, really. The characters behaved exactly as I expected them to, and there was absolutely zero character growth. One aspect of the book that did stand out was the exploration of the impact of media scrutiny and public perception on the lives of its characters. Berman adeptly delves into the consequences of being thrust into the spotlight and the lingering effects it can have on individuals even years after the events take place. This exploration did add some depth to the story and did provide some thought-provoking moments. Overall, while not a standout novel, the book offers a moderately engaging story with moments of introspection. 
the lack of originality and underdeveloped characters, though, left me and will likely leave other readers wanting more. But those who enjoy exploring themes of redemption and the lasting impact of past events might find something to appreciate here. Ultimately, this one fell short for me. I gave it three stars. And now I'll share my thoughts on The Kingdom of Sweets by Erica Johansson. This book was first published on November 28, 2023 by Dutton and was one of my December Book of the Month picks. The synopsis reads, Light and Dark. This is the destiny placed upon Natasha and Clara, the birthright bestowed by their godfather, the mysterious sorcerer Drosselmeyer. Clara, the favorite, grows into beauty and ease, while Natasha is cursed to live in her sister's shadow. But one fateful Christmas Eve, Natasha gets her chance at revenge. For Drosselmeyer has brought the Nutcracker, an enchanted present that offers entry into a deceptively beautiful world, the Kingdom of Sweets. In this land of snow and sugar, Natasha is presented with a power far greater than Drosselmeyer, the Sugar Plum Fairy, who is also full of gifts and dreadful bargains. As Natasha uncovers the dark destiny laid before her birth, she must reckon with powers both earthly and magical, and decide to which world she truly belongs. Who doesn't love the Nutcracker? Wait, that might be a stretch, because I don't necessarily love the Nutcracker. I like the story well enough, but it's not something I flock toward every Christmas. That said, when I heard about this book, I immediately wanted to read it. I love the idea of taking a beloved Christmas classic and putting a dark spin on it. I can say that the author has crafted a tale that pays homage to the beloved Nutcracker story while adding her own unique spin. My only problem was that I found the first half of the book to be much more engaging than the last half. The story follows two sisters, Natasha and Clara, who are both under the spell of their godfather, the enigmatic sorcerer Drosselmeyer. The girls' parents desperately wanted twins, and Drosselmeyer granted their wish, but naturally it came with a price. One of the girls would represent light and basically obtain love and affection by all, while the other would represent dark and be shunned and even looked down upon by many. As it goes, Clara, the favored one, flourishes, while Natasha is sentenced to live a life in her sister's shadow. However, their paths diverge on one fateful Christmas Eve when Drosselmeyer brings an enchanted present to the family's annual Christmas party. It is, as you probably guessed, the Nutcracker. This charming gift opens the door to the Kingdom of Sweets, a world that's stunning but treacherous. By the end of the night, one sister's dreams have all come true, while the other is left with nothing but vengeance in her heart. As I said earlier, I really enjoyed the first half of this book. I enjoyed the lush descriptions of the Kingdom of Sweets, the land of snow and sugar that at first glance sounds amazing, but then there's an ominous undertone that makes it feel both mesmerizing and foreboding. The author strikes a great balance between beauty and darkness, and creates an unsettling ambiance that keeps readers on the edge of their seats. What stood out about the Kingdom of Sweets was the intricate web of power struggle and bargains that Natasha encounters. As she delves deeper into her own destiny, she must confront not only earthly forces, but also the mysterious Sugar Plum Fairy, who holds unimaginable power. Johansson's portrayal of these supernatural beings is both captivating and chilling, drawing readers into a world where nothing is as it seems. And that sounds great, right? I mean, I was completely engaged, but then after that magical Christmas Eve came to pass, I felt that things really started to falter. The initial establishment of the characters, the unfolding of the plot, built a strong foundation, but as the story progressed, it lost some of its initial momentum. 
The pacing began to feel uneven, and some plot points either dragged or were resolved too quickly. It left me wanting more depth and more development on the back end. I can say that the characters are intriguing, particularly the one of Natasha. She undergoes a poignant transformation throughout the book. Her journey from living in Clara's shadow to discovering her own power and agency is the heart of the story, and I really did feel for Natasha. Johansson portrays her internal struggles and conflicted loyalties with nuance, and it made her relatable and empathetic. I also liked that while Clara was everyone's favorite, she wasn't exactly likable. I, mean, I didn't not like her, she was, she was a little questionable, and I liked that. While this book may not be a flawless masterpiece, it's undoubtedly a creative and unique take on a beloved classic. Johansson has definitely crafted a world that's equal parts enchanting and unsettling. And while the book may lose some momentum in the second half, the first half, as well as the characters and the exploration of power dynamics, may get a decent read. I ended up giving it three stars. And we'll close out with the Christmas slasher novella Candy Cane Kills by Brian McCauley. This book is part of the Killer VHS series published by Shortwave Media. It released on November 14th, 2023. The synopsis reads, When Austin's parents drag him and his little sister Fiona to a remote cottage for Christmas, he's less than thrilled about the forced bonding exercise. But after learning that their holiday getaway was the site of a horrific crime, this family on the rocks will have to fight for their lives against a legendary killer, because Candy Cane is slashing through the snow with a very long naughty list. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I love a good slasher, and this one definitely delivers some really fun kills, and it all unravels at a speedy pace. The story centers around Austin, a teenage boy reluctantly spending Christmas at a remote cottage with his parents and younger sister Fiona. It's supposed to be a time for family bonding, but Austin's expectations are far from being met. Austin would much rather be at home partying with his friends, not hanging out with his parents, who were obviously going through some shit. By Austin's standards, it's bound to be a less than Merry Christmas. To make matters worse, the family has managed to rent a cabin where a heinous murder took place years prior, and Candy Cane, the urban legend that lurched in the woods, might actually be real. Soon, the family who went to the cabin for a nice family bonding session will be fighting for their lives. With the arrival of Candy Cane, the legendary killer with a twisted sense of justice and a penchant for revenge, the serene Christmas ambiance turns into a nightmare. When Austin's friends show up at the cabin to surprise him, Candy's kill list grows, and she is more than happy to take them all out. And as I mentioned earlier, she's very creative with her kills. As the family and Austin's friends attempt to navigate this deadly game of cat and mouse, they soon realize that their survival lies in cracking the secrets of the cottage's violent past. This is a short one. It clocked in at just over 100 pages, and Macaulay packs a lot into the pages without dragging down the pace. The kills are fun, the characters are relatable and mostly empathetic, and Candy Cane's backstory, while predictable, is perfect for the story. This one checks many of the standard boxes for a slasher, which is exactly what I would expect. The formula works, and it's one of the reasons I love slashers so much. I know what to expect. I think my only issue with this one was the final act. I can't be specific without spoiling anything, but the turn of events over the last 10 to 15 pages had me scratching my head a bit, even for a crazy horror story. But that said, it wasn't enough to totally ruin the book for me. It's still a really fun read. 
If you're looking for a Christmas read that's different from the standard rom-com, then definitely check this one out, especially if you're a slasher fan. I gave it three and three quarter stars. All right, that's all I have for you today. Now, don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. The handle there is at justreaditalreadypod. You can also find links to all the books that I talked about today on my website at justreaditalready.com. Now, be sure to join me on New Year's Eve, so Sunday instead of Monday, for a special recap episode. I'll take a look back at some of my favorite reads of 2023 and chat about what I'm looking forward to in 2024. I hope you have an amazing week ahead with lots of good books. I'll see you on New Year's Eve. Thank you.